Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast from the Del Norte County Unified School District and Del Norte County Office of Education. My name is Jeff Harris and I'm the superintendent. And in the time it takes you to sit down and have something to drink with a friend, a cup of coffee, glass of tea, we want to have a conversation with folks in our district who are really working diligently to make sure that our children have the best school year that they can and to give our members of the community a little bit more information about what is going on within the district in the county office. So joining me today are Lisa Howard. Hello, everyone. Our program specialist for special education, Nick LaFazio. Hello. And assistant superintendent for student services, Tom Kissinger. It's good to be back, Jeff. Thanks. So, and Lisa, I apologize. Lisa is a teacher. I just never really know what to call Lisa because she has her fingers in so many pies. <laughs> I'm the multi-tier system of support coordinator. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so one of the largest investments that our state is making for the next three years and that we as a district and a county are making for the next three years is when it comes to the mental wellness of our youth. Um, and I think not only of our youth, but by extension, their families and our community. So one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, all this money is being provided by the state, the federal government, um, the district is hiring different people. Why? Right? Because our kids are fine. Or my, my kids are fine. What, whatever those conversations I have. With school now entering its third week, and with us coming back after a year of hybrid and or distance learning for some students and the previous year completely curtailed, what are, you, what are you all seeing as the needs that are starting to emerge with our kids at all levels? Well, Jeff, one of the things that I would tell you if people were to say our kids are fine, yes, some of them are fine, but many of them are not fine. And all of our students have not been in school the way it has been traditionally for They've been out for quite a long time, and now coming back to school in a traditional sense for the first time in well over a year, we're seeing many, many students who are presenting with mental health issues, and thank goodness that we've been able to hire more staff, more counselors, more psychologists. We now have intern social workers working with us. Um, we had them last year, but we have them again this year. But that investment is something that is so necessary because the rate of which we're seeing children struggling with mental health and behavioral issues is really unprecedented, I think. Well, and Nick, I know that I, I've seen you at almost every school I went to. Um, what, what are you seeing? Because I know that you, you also work with some high needs population. I think like I, I would agree with Tom. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of mental health needs coming in that we we expected. Um, but we have to be sensitive to the fact that we have a lot of new positions, but we're still understaffed. A lot of counselors are taking the burden of that and psychs and, and teachers who are taking on extra needs because somebody has to step up and do it. And so, yeah, I'm running from one place to the next, but right now I think the biggest emerging thing that's happening is parents don't necessarily know the process because they've been either they're new and you might have a second grader who never, I think you pointed this out in the last board meeting, they haven't been in school since the first semester of kindergarten. Right. And they just don't know the process, who to talk to, who to go to for, for any needs that they are seeing at home. 
Well, just like our kids aren't used to it, our parents aren't used to it either, right? It's been 18 months. And if you have a first grade child, the chances that your child has experienced a normal year, well, there are no chances that your child's experienced a normal year unless they went to preschool. Um, But Lisa, where Nick is, I've seen him in classes working directly with kids. Tom's working with a lot of our new staff. You're providing a ton of support to our teachers, to our principals. What, what What does that look like? What are you hearing? Are you hearing the same thing along the same lines that they're hearing? Well, because there is such a high need and level of concern about students this year, you have teachers and staff of all realms asking for more. They said, how will we support these children? And we want some more social emotional learning and support at school sites um, specifically, as well as programs. They are definitely interested in saying, you know, are we going to adopt curriculum that will also help with social emotional learning? What can we do to also retrain parents? We are training our students for these new behaviors of what we want to see at school sites, but we also need to be training our parents and how do we connect with them? And so a lot of the work that principals are doing is the family engagement piece of writing those letters, the welcoming, sending out postcards really trying to connect and bring families back into our family of schools so that they feel included and supported when they are on our campus or feel like they could reach out to us when they do have need. So you're bringing up a kind of an acronym that we use all the time, SEL, social emotional learning. What, what does that look like? I mean, from, from all three of your perspectives, we've, we've taught kids PBIS, you know, we, we've gone through maybe character counts where we talk about respect, responsibility, um, we've done some different things. What is social emotional learning? And when we talk curriculum, I'm aware of English, math, science, history, and PE. What's SEL? Um, for, for me, um, I think it's the whole holistic picture for a uh, child. Um, so when I, I see a kid in the classroom, I'm looking at their externalizing behaviors, their internalizing behaviors. How are they handling their emotions? What is their day-to-day process on a lot of things that we we take it for granted. Um, I think teachers have a big job right now. They're having to work more like social workers, counselors, teachers, uh, and everything in between. And social emotional kind of takes that step back and looks at how can I make sure this child is well and ready to learn so that I can teach them. That's right. Because mental health is, it's important at every stage of life from adolescence to adulthood, and it really is about how people think, act, and feel. And so social-emotional learning has social awareness skills we are building in children, as well as relationship building and trust building, and trying to complete the picture of the foundational pieces they need in order to learn the academic pieces we would like them to achieve by the end of the year. So again, this kind of goes back to Maslow's hierarchy, right? Before they can learn, we need to meet their really fundamental needs. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I would absolutely agree with that. And the way I look at social and emotional learning is as a real investment in the, the like, as, as Nick and Lisa were saying, a real investment in the whole child. Because if a child is dysregulated, if a child is uncomfortable, if a child doesn't feel safe, if a child has experienced a lot of trauma, it's so important that that child learns how to understand 
what the signs are, what are the what what are the things that they need to do in order to get themselves regulated to actually learn curriculum and and participate in an academic setting. Well, and you know, and I think that the other part of that too is the 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 family, the caregiver, the parent that says, "But my child doesn't need it. Why should my child have to give up English, math, history, social studies, physical education time for this SEL?" And and tell me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think that quite honestly, the inability of one child in the class because of that dysregulation that you were talking about, Tom, because of that inability to engage, uh, that's not something we're going to discipline for. That's a need the child has, but that can also disrupt the learning of the other students in the class. But Jeff, I would even go further than that because for the one student who may be externalizing, we don't need, we're not, unless we're really, really good at understanding what social and emotional learning looks like and what, what, what really understanding what the behaviors are and how to work with them. What about all the students who may be quiet or internalizing behaviors? And so I think that, um, I, I think that it's, it's really a whole class investment and it's a whole class situation. So, I think we could, you know, we can kind of envision that externalizing piece, that acting out, the things that we see. What would, what could a family look at or what could a family observe that would be indicative of internalizing some of these traumas and some of these behaviors? One thing that's always noticeable is a change, a a sudden change. If it be all of a sudden they're externalizing and they've never been that way, or all of a sudden they're internalizing and they're very quiet, they're very kept to themselves less eye contact, less interest in normal activities that they've typically had interest in, change of social group, lots of different things like that, that you, you may not recognize right away, or you may say, oh, that's, they're just getting older, fifth grade, they, they're going through life changes, and it's normal. Um, some of that is normal, typical development, but you just want to take note of those things. So I'm a parent, and I start to see my child act out or I see my child withdraw, right? They're, they're, they're no longer really doing things with us as a family or, or whatever that looks like. I'm a little concerned, but I don't know. Nick, earlier you talked about process. And I know that you and Lisa have talked a lot about building these processes both in for schools and building them outside of schools so that family could access some different resources. How can a family find out what's going on with my child? So if I'm a parent and I'm concerned about my child, the first steps I could take, at least with our schools, would be to ask for a counseling referral. And whether I join my student with the counselor and have a conversation about my concerns or I email or call the counselor and discuss what my concerns are, they can begin the conversation. Because one of the things we know about children is they love to talk about their feelings. And oftentimes they just need to be listened to. And depending on where that safe adult is, that they feel comfortable discussing this, um, that's the starting place. I would agree. Um, I'd also say to talk to your teacher. Just ask them what's going on at school. What, how, how's my child behaving? Um, do you see any red flags? That's different than the rest of the group. And then maybe move on to the counseling piece. Um, it just depends. It's going to be a case-by-case type of thing. But what we're also working on developing is a referral pathway that would just be a ticket online that we could just, a parent could put in their concern. It would email to the school site 
to the counselor specifically where they can just do a soft check-in, just see what's going on. Is this something that we should continue on or is this just they need a check-in today? And I know that you guys have also worked on two other resources for families too, right? Um, one of them is the Wellness Center. That's probably the newest of the two resources. And then the other one is Connect Del Norte. So tell us a little bit about what a family could actually access on both of those websites too, because while we, we're a school system and they can always contact their teacher, contact their principal, contact their counselor, in my experience, you know, working in other school districts around the state, I've had families that have looked at me whose children have been experiencing some mental health issues and they've just flat out said, my child's not crazy. And it's like, well, no one ever said they were, right? It's, there's something going on that, that they need somewhere where they need some support. But I think some families may feel more comfortable taking those first steps, maybe in the privacy of their home. Tell us a little bit about these two sites that we have available. So DelnortWellnessCenter.com offers families a wide variety of supports, both within school and outside of school. The first support level is, again, it's a button and you can press for a consultation with a counselor here within schools. But it also offers outside supports for crisis lines and maybe you would like to be referred for family counseling, things of that nature. So it does offer um, levels of support that are meant to address whatever your family's concerns are at the time. Um, in addition to the support help there, you can find the anonymous tip line. So if you are observing behaviors, um, whether it is your child or not, um, out in public, around our schools, of concern, self-harm, anything of that nature, it can be reported. And those go directly, again, to our school counselors so and to our principals so that we can report when necessary at the level of concern that we have. We have suicide awareness on the Wellness Center because a lot of times families have a hard time identifying, well, should I have a concern about suicide? What should I say to my child? And it gives you some tips about what parents can have that conversation with their student about um, and what does it look like if there is serious concern, what are the next steps that I should take as a parent with my child? And what about Connect Del Norte? How are the two similar or, or what are some of the differences in those two? Because I think there are two really valuable resources as we talk about mental health. ConnectDelNorte.org has 250 local partners that are nonprofit and agencies in our community. So if you are looking for something and you find Either other resources are very hard to navigate online. We're basically a couple clicks away to service. So you would click the area, say families, and I'd pick a subcategory under there of things I would be looking for to help my family. And that can be, you know, from transportation to food, to housing, to mental health supports. There's all kinds, there's a dozen subcategories there, but it connects you directly to that home base. So you can get what you're looking for direct from them. And I would stress going to those two websites first before when you're looking for sources, because we have a tip line. Behavioral health has a tip line. There's a national tip line. There's a state tip line. It can be overwhelming and confusing. And these will point you directly to local resources. Well, and I think that, the, you know, that's important because when we start talking about the locality, right? Keeping things right here where they can really be done. 
if you call the national or the state tip line, it may take days, hours, weeks, who knows if we'll ever get the tip. But if you're using the tip line that we have, then we can provide that immediate support, that immediate help. And two, I think that the the genius of what you two came up with really is... Mostly Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> that was not me. There was a super thinker out ahead of us. <laughs> but what is really interesting here is we also know that the underlying cause of mental illness and, and some, some stressors on mental health are the lack of housing, are the lack of food, are the lack of medical care, are the lack of child care, the lack of information around how to access services within schools. And that's what Connect Del Norte provides, whereas the Wellness Center really focuses, I mean, it really hones in on getting services for mental health, mental illness type issues. And in addition, it also provides uh, family workshops are posted there, which um, for our family therapist who meets once a month, um, Cheryl Simons here locally dealing with issues facing families, which has been terrific. So if you haven't joined us last year, join us this year. She's going to be offering that series again once a month, giving you some time to be able to, you know, get those issues addressed and having, you know, a communal conversation about what, what should we do to help support families here locally. And lastly, I'll just say that there's a lot of fun activities about mindfulness and journaling and just being able to find calm when there seems to be a lot of chaos around. And these activities are fun for families, for individuals, for children, and um, you should check it out. So Tom and Lisa brought up, you know, the, the, um, the family series that Cheryl's doing. That's only one of many supports. I mean, this year, there are many, many, many more supports available. Can you just give everybody a quick overview of what that, I think, army of service providers looks like within our district right now? Well, in order to assist parents and family members, we have our psychologists who, they don't just assess students. They give guidance and support to families. They do meet with students and do some individual counseling with students. We now, thanks to our LCAP, we have the funding for individual for counselors at every single one of our school sites and counseling techs as well. Not only do they work with students, but they spend quite a bit of time um, running workshops for parents, having meetings with parents, meetings with parents and staff members. And um, I'm really proud of the fact that through the mental health demonstration grant um, that we got a few years ago and is still active, that we're, we partner with Humboldt State University and they give us three master's level social work interns who are also doing a tremendous amount of work with parents and family members. Um, and so we have, we have probably now have more support than we've ever had before, reaching out, connecting with parents and, and making sure that they have access to the resources that Nick and Lisa are talking about. One of the things that they, they need to do is make sure that they know where those resources are, how to access them, so that they can share that information with families. And I think that's another reason that we also brought on family liaisons. Oh, that's right. We have family liaisons who um, their job is to reach out and work with families especially when kids are, are struggling with either behavioral issues or other things that are keeping them from attending school. 
So their role is to reach out to them, really be a friendly voice, a welcoming voice, somebody who can connect with them and bring them back into the fold of the school district community. So, you know, we, we've kind of talked broadly and we, we do serve and we do work with every child, whether they're having, you know, just a few minor issues because they're just readjusting to coming back to a full school year. Or whether in the most extreme case, there may be some, some thought of suicide or suicidal ideation. Uh, this is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. How, and Lisa, I know that you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, what resources do we have for families or for students um, if they or someone they know uh, have thought about suicide, contemplated suicide, um, or they're interested to know what the kind of the signs of someone who are is contemplating suicide might look like. So kind of touching back on what we talked about before is that there's typical development and then there's signs and symptoms. And sometimes those can look very similar just based on time of life and, and where you're at. Um, we do provide in, in normal times, a youth mental health first aid training, which teaches the signs and symptoms and gives you an action plan on how to handle a situation if you were to be the first one to come across a student or your own child struggling with those thoughts. Um, right now, we had to put ours off for last weekend and the upcoming one just based on our numbers and things going on in the community, but we're hoping to provide that real soon again. Um, and then sources of strength is that proactive uh, approach with it that really focuses on the strengths of a community and um, relationships within your community to to be on the proactive side not the reactive not necessarily an intervention piece but to know that you have those people out there that you can contact in different parts of your life and um, Taryn's doing great again started up a sources of strength campaign on Facebook and then I do want to do a real quick shout out and thank you to Laura Schultz and Taryn just with all the work that they've done with Cheryl Simons and I want to stress the fact that she's going to be providing that connect for 20 for our teachers again, because teachers still are going to be struggling with all of that extra burden. They Secondary trauma is real. The more they see it in front of them, the more they need to be able to have that space. And, and that they sh there should be an email for them currently out today, just notifying them about that coming up. So to connect with sources of strength in our school community, not only is it grades six through 12, that we've pushed that out. But we also have teachers and aides and, and community members that are so interested in it. They became trainers that we have interest at all grade levels, which is awesome. And what we have begun is the attendance campaign is around those eight protective factors. So the first one out this month is healthy activities and really making that visible at all of our sites. And so you'll be seeing not only um, Taryn, but all of her peer advisors and mentors out there helping out uh, to help push what we think is going to help support all children in our schools. Oh, that's great. So between that focus on social emotional learning, between the folks that we have that are actually providing the support, the resources we have at uh, wellnesscenter.com and connectdelnort.org, um, there's, there's a lot I mean, I think a lot of information that our families and our community can use. And, and I, I do want to just stress that really quickly, even though we deal primarily with youth, and I don't know if a lot, in our, a lot of our community knows 
when we talk about youth, we talk about birth through 21. Um, and sometimes even beyond because we also do adult education. But many of these resources are for adults. I mean, you don't have to be a child or have a child in order to use these resources. They're there for everyone to utilize. So this is a, I think it's a critical conversation. It's a critical topic for where we as a community and where we as a school system are right now. Um, And I know that we'll come back to this. We'll talk about it later. But for today, Nick, Lisa, Tom, I want to thank you for joining me and for kicking off the new series of uh, Coffee and Conversation as we kind of dive into this year. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.